across campus, online, and on 12:51 a.m. This, this, this is your student radio station. Hello, um, we're back. Um, a very good afternoon to you watching us at the moment, and so indeed listening to us um, as well. It's fantastic to have your company here on Insight today. Um, a lot has happened in the last two weeks. It's great to be back. Firstly, central type of tabling have meant that I can host a show this week, which is really nice. It's great to be back um, on air today talking to you. We've got some fantastic guests lined up, quite a lot of topics to discuss, quite a varied range of topics to discuss. We're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about the UK's, I, I say the success at Eurovision on Saturday night, if we do call getting zero points a success, but it was quite a great night on Saturday night. We'll be talking about that. We've also got some of the latest breaking news from around the country, including discussions on the India variant and hopefully as well on Great British Railways. And the big news from campus yesterday, really, of course, it was the Protect Warwick Women protest. Raw News was there covering that. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that came from that and what more still needs to be done. Now, you may have seen through my slight Freudian slip of the... Um, of the controller and being unable to click on the right banner at the right time if you're watching us visual right now we've got some big news to announce because yes forget england coming bringing football home this summer which in many ways seems like well, the biggest pipe dream in the world raw 12 51 a.m is definitely coming home on june the 7th yes we will be back in the studio on june the 7th after nearly a year of not being able to present in the studio i i still haven't actually presented from the studio yet so you can you can you can tell how excited i am about this right now um yeah we'll be back in the studio on june the 7th it is fantastic almost to go back home um now insight we're still trying to work out exactly how we're going to be doing the broadcasting for that but raw is coming back to the studio on june the 7th and there is no better time to get involved with the station than now. If you have just any random show idea that you've got, it can be almost anything. That's the great thing about taking part in radio. Anything goes. But if you've got an idea, we've got the show applications that have come out. They close on Friday, May the 28th at midnight. So please submit your show application. We have two days of training as well next week. And then bring your idea on air. It's going to be absolutely fantastic to be back in the studio and relive what it was back in the old days of Raw, when we could go into the studio, we could do our shows, and we could just have so much fun. I can't wait to be back. I'm really excited to be going back. I'm sure everyone at Raw is. So please, if you are interested, um, talk to me, talk to any of the team here at Raw. We're really excited to be going back, and we would love you to have a show on air as well. Well, someone I know who is very, very excited about that news is our treasurer, Enoch Bukungu. A very good afternoon to you, Enoch. Good afternoon to you, Cam. Um, um, I, oh, yeah, please. I was going to say, how are you feeling about going uh, back? I am absolutely delighted. I'm, I've, it's been over over a year since I've been back in the radio. So, I mean, firstly, the radio studio is like my my second home. It's been over a year since I've been back. I cannot wait to get back in there properly again. I have to say, of course, I said I've never presented a show from the studio. I joined the station just at the wrong time. So yeah. fill me in for anyone who's never presented a show in the studio before what can they look forward to um what, what uh, um well i'm gonna have to get the sanitized version because i want people to apply and we can look forward <laughs> to um ecu's equipment a wonderful community um 
the ability to make mistakes live on there. These are these are all the folks. It's all the fun you can you can look forward to. Um, I I mean my favorite. I'm trying to I'm trying to stick to just the nice stuff about the studio because most of my favorite memories about the studio are me messing something up and something going disastrously <laughs> wrong. So I can't. I mean, um, I, I feel that's what makes it though such being a part of Raw that you've got the opportunity to do that. You can make those yeah, mistakes but we, still have a great time. Yeah. You know, what I look look forward to. We will literally let you give you control of a thousand over a thousand pound piece of equipment, and then you can do basically anything you want with it as long as you don't break offcom offcom rules or station rules. Um, and you know, as long as you also don't break it, please don't break it. That's <laughs> my, my message. Um, not just to you, but to myself in the future and in the past. Please don't break it. Don't break um, the studio. I have to say, of course, there is one very important thing. Because we need to have a proper celebration of going back to the studio. And Enoch, I think you will approve of my choice of drink. It's a, um, it's an Italia uh, Prosecco. It's like a spumante. I don't know. I, I just got given this bottle last Christmas. And I've had it sat around and I've been waiting for the perfect excuse to drink it. It could almost be some sort of like a Prosecco champagne reception kind of thing to welcome us coming back to the studio no i i knew it was gonna go there we're not <laughs> we're not giving you i'm not i don't know why this keeps happening i'm gonna stop coming on this show i'm not buying you a, i'm not giving you a champagne reception it's not happening i'm not throwing a champagne reception why wouldn't that be a thing we do well i feel enoch <laughs> is not quite rising to the sense of occasion here but enoch <laughs> great to have you on the program let's bring on my second guest now and also her second time here on Insight. Lucy, a very good afternoon to you. Hello, you all right? Um, firstly, how can I ask you, how's the exam season been going? You've been managed to stay on top of it all? Have you been driven to the edge of insanity yet? You know what? Uh, I am midway through my first exam um, today, right now. So doing pretty well, but I thought I'd switch up a bit and um, yeah, talk about some current affairs. Why not? Of course, and I admire your dedication for coming on right in the middle of your exam period. Thank you very much. Um, speaking of current affairs, let's start off with the most current of current affairs. Obviously, um, Saturday night was, um, of course, the uh, the Eurovision Song Contest was back. It's a favourite song contest here at Raw. It's something we always love to talk about. Yet, somehow in this country, we always manage to love it, even though we come last. Indeed, this year, not only did we come last... But we managed to get absolutely nothing, neither from the juries, not from the televote. It was a very, very disappointing night. I mean, admittedly, I laughed because I, it's sort of you just get used to it after a while that, you know, it, it goes around a lot that Europe just hates us. Do you think it's that? Lucy, what do you think? <clears throat> um, I mean, in my eyes, it's just fair play. Um, I mean, the performance itself, not to roast the fella, but you know um uh, yeah <laughs> you know it, it's just kind of I, I watched the entire thing throughout and it wasn't really giving me much but also I do think it's kind of representative of foreign affairs and current relations with the EU um doesn't take a genius but yeah yeah it's certainly interesting because this is I guess the first year we've since we've properly brexited in this oh this is the first year contest <laughs> since brexit but also, of course, with a lot of the geopolitical situation with vaccines as well that has come about this year. I'm not saying that's the reason we came last. It may be the egregiously wide shots of the stage that I literally spent. I spent the entire three minutes just going like this camera is far too wide, going closer on James. But the thing is, right, this is a guy who's written for Rudimental for Little Mix. He's Grammy nominated. 
So if, if he gets nothing, who who can score something for this country? Enoch, have you have you got the solution to I, our country's troubles at Eurovision? This is this is my personal plea to the BBC. Give me ten thousand pounds, <laughs> and I promise you, I will assemble a winning Eurovision act. Now, can I play music? No. Can I sing? Absolutely not. Do I have any the first idea how to like assemble a band? What even, no. But I promise you that. Give me a year. And, uh, and the resources and by new vision 2022 we will have a winning performance i will bring it back to england and then you can do whatever you want with it you can film it in birmingham if you have to um i will win eurovision well enoch i think we're gonna have to hold you to that just very quickly before we move on to our next topic i just want to give of course the italian song one um zitti e buoni just out of interest do you know what zitti e buoni translates to in english no, um, look. As Amanda okay. Holden said, we we Brits don't know. We don't know these terms. Oh, Amanda <laughs> Holden all over again. That 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 was. I feel like we've <laughs> been crashed in Europe already. I'm not sure if we've done more. So yeah, Zitta Ebrone translates to "shut up and behave." Uh, it's, it's not the sort of thing you'd imagine winning Eurovision. Something there's, is threatening like there's that. There's a joke oh, there I can make, but I cannot make it on the radio or on the Facebook live stream. So I'll I'll no, save it not- later. Off- Ofcom will not be happy yeah, about I'll, that. I'll, I'll save it for later. But whilst we're here very quickly, um, what did you think of the winning song? Did you like it? It kind of gave me a bit of an Arctic Monkeys vibe, which okay. I was like, Lucy, I can see your thumbs up. You you were uh, happy. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I love Finland as well. And also uh, France. Is, uh, yeah, the French submission was honestly my favourite, but the other two, chef's kiss, very good. And Enoch, what about yourself? Um, I... I mean, this is uh, time for make a shameful uh, admitted. I only saw um, the Italy song and San Marino because I was working for most of the night and I went to a friend's Eurobit house to watch Eurovision. So I got there at like 50 past. So I, I only, so um, I think of the two songs I saw, it was definitely the best one. Well, I have to say, for Flow Rider to come to Eurovision and get like, Nothing. Thirteen points. Right. Their the, the faces when San Marino got announced that they had that much points was a. It was a sight. I think it's just proof that Europe, Europe, they know what's up. You know, Flowrider. <laughs> when, when was the last time Flowrider had a hit song for one? And two, <laughs> his name is Flowrider. He's, he's literally called Florida. <laughs> what's he doing in Eurovision? That's like if I. If I renamed myself Way Ailes and I went and competed in like the American singing contest, it wouldn't make sense. But well, well, you see, they did choose a guy there who likes to get low, 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 though. So there's your problem exactly. <sighs> I'm, I'm gonna leave. This was a great stream, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Enoch, Lucy, it's great to have you on the show. We will see you very, very shortly. Music. Welcome back to another week of Psychedemics. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Vinny Show. You are listening to Rockstar. I'm backstage at Casper. Let's go. 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 Really, all about like educating, networking, and sharing our stories. I think the SU has a really uh, important role in engaging students with politics. News. Good evening, and welcome to the big decision. Ben and Larissa tied. This is your student radio station. This is Raw, twelve fifty-one a.m. 
I just need to start off by saying that I am going to leave a quick content warning for sexual assault and discussions of rape in the coming discussion. Um, again, we're going to leave that on the screen throughout. Um, the Protect Work Women protest took place on campus yesterday. It had been built to take place a couple of weeks early. Obviously, the great British weather hasn't been very kind to us recently, but it took place yesterday. And it's fair to say there was quite a lot of revelations from that protest, quite a lot um, to discuss from it. Of course, Protect Work Women have been out now on campus. I think today is day 68. They started their occupation of the piazza um, last March and really going on and protesting the university's handling of sexual assault on campus. I'm the fourth head of news to have been in this job since the rape chat scandal emerged back in May 2018. And this is still a story that is discussed with the same intensity, with the same desire to seek a change as it was back in May 2018. And from that protest yesterday, it's very clear that students are still seeking answers and seeking more to be done. Now, Enoch was at that protest yesterday and he said, made us this video that we're going to air now. As many things, you may know it as a feminist alliance, you may know it as a powerful student group aiming to introduce new change to the university, you may know it as a safe, a safe hub for survivors on campus. It's been 67 days since Protect Work Women began their occupation, but their movement shows no signs of slowing down. Speaking to Raw News before the protest began, organisers worried that the cold weather would lead to a smaller turnout, but these fears proved misplaced. By the time the speakers began at 3.30, the piazza was packed. They had all gathered to hear speakers share personal stories of sexual violence they had experienced on campus and also of the university's failures to respond to that violence. On September 27, 2020, I was sexually assaulted by my flatmate. I refused to silence myself. I refused to make myself smaller for the comfort of my own abuser. So I did as many others have done surely, exactly what was expected of me. I reported him to the university for sexual misconduct. The university did not listen. Following a series of tireless days, living under the same roof as my own abuser, I waited patiently for him to be removed. For this to effectively take place, the senior warden of my accommodation had to be notified, as only she had the authority to remove him from my accommodation. Despite pressure from report and support for her to do so, she did not respond to my request. And for this reason, he was never removed from my flat. They spoke about how the university was stonewalling in meetings, 
and you're refusing to open any direct lines of communication. We've been receiving most of our communications with the university through Luke Metham, which enables them to essentially blame any um, drop in communication or lack of response on the SU rather than actually taking accountability for it. Um, when ben, ben Pithouse has been here three times since then, and on every occasion we have asked him, can we please be sent the emails which are sent to us rather than them being passed through Luke Metham like a year seven, um, and they were like, yeah, yeah, we will, we'll send them to you, we'll CC you. Have we been CC'd? No. Have any of our recent emails been responded to? No. Have we asked Luke Metham to ask the university to respond to our emails? Yes. Have the university responded to our emails? No. Has Ben Pithouse come down and said, why don't you draft up a list of things we need to do to get you to leave the piazza? And us been like, yeah, actually, that's a great idea. And have we sent them that list? Yes. Has the list been responded to? No. University of lying not just to them, but to the wider student body about the state of their staff sexual harassment training programs. Uh, one of the main things that uh, we can talk about now is uh, the lies in the university's uh, public statement about uh, the survivors' trust. So one of our demands uh, in our initial list of demands was to have uh, staff training, staff and student training signed off um, by a student group uh, in order to make sure that we felt as if the training was adequate. Um, throughout our meetings, the university's response was that um, this training was already approved by the Survivors Trust, uh, which is a charity, and therefore it did not need approval from a student group. Um, this was something that we obviously just took at face value, and although we did continue to feel as if approval from a student group was necessary, um, we felt as if it wasn't necessarily something we'd be able to get through, obviously because the university had this concrete defense of, oh, our training was approved by the Survivors Trust. So, however, um, since the release of the university's public statement, where they restated that their training was approved by the Survivors Trust and gave that as one of the reasons why they felt as if uh, our demand was uh, unnecessary, um, we actually had a student reach out to the Survivors Trust uh, for separate reasons and during their communications uh, asked the Survivors Trust about the work they were doing with Warwick and the Survivors Trust responded by saying that they don't work very closely with Warwick at all and actually don't approve the training. Um, so essentially we were being completely lied to, uh, which is quite shocking. They painted a devastating picture of a university asleep at the wheel when it comes to dealing with sexual assault. It was hard to listen to. Um, one person I spoke to after the event, who didn't want to be interviewed, but still wanted the sentiments recorded, said that had they heard these stories when they received their offer, they wouldn't have come to Warwick. So in the nine plus weeks that we have been sitting here, people are still being assaulted and raped up and down this campus. All these people we've been in meetings with are very much aware of this. We brought it to their attention when they pretended they were innocent or feigned ignorance. The lack of humanity in the people who run this university, who promise to take care of us, who we are paying to take care of us, is terrifying. Will Warwick take notice and take action? Only time will tell. One thing's for certain though, protect Warwick women aren't going anywhere. Keep the conversation going. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your family about it. I mean, talk to your lecturers, your RLT. Um, sign the open letter. Across campus, online, and on 12.51am. This, this, this is your student radio station.
so as you can see there, that was Enoch Mukungu reporting from the Protect World Women protests um, yesterday. It's a difficult watch. It is. Enoch joins me again now. Um, thank you very much, um, firstly, for going and covering that for us yesterday. Um, I guess your what, what was your reaction, I guess, firstly, being at the protest yesterday, reporting on this and seeing and listening to the stories of so many survivors of sexual assault, so many people who have said that this needs to be stopped, that something needs to be done, and yet they feel like nothing's being done. How, how did you, what was your reaction to that? I, I think, I mean, coming coming to Warwick, I mean, so when I was applying to Warwick, right after I applied, obviously the first um, documentary of the group chat sound was, was put out there. So I think Warwick has a reputation for um, a really awful rape culture here. Uh, but what I, I really wasn't prepared for was just how much that was being aided by the university. And like some of the story, hearing people tell these stories about how, not just their initial trauma, how that trauma was made worse by universities, seeming absolute disinterest in it was um, heartbreak. I mean, it, I, I wish everyone could have gone. I, 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 I know that, I don't know if the camera could have copy captured the, the, the atmosphere on, you know, on that stage of hearing these people tell these stories. I'm hearing them talk about, you know, going and crying in um, team schools at university and university basically being not responding, university not reaching out anymore. And how it, you, you, you feel, you can feel the desperation here. But there's, we are, Warwick is at an absolute breaking point and university seems to absolutely not care at all. And it was, it was just so heartbreaking. Of course, um, Protect Warwick Winners, we said they've been on the um, piazza now for nearly 10 weeks. The university yeah. released a statement back on April the 27th, which outlined, it was a statement that outlined obviously their approach to the demands that were placed by um, Protect Work Women, but also asking them to call the protest off. Protect Work Women haven't done that. Indeed, the number of tents at the site has increased since that day. There was one bit that really stuck out to me yesterday, which was um, with the university's original claim that they made on the Survivors Trust, approving and guiding their preventative sexual assault training we contacted the survivors trust i would just say before we start we contacted the the survivors trust we've contacted the university and we've contacted the students union we have at the time of recording we have not had a reply yet um from the university or the students union it's 23 minutes past one on monday the 24th of may if we do get anything from that we will bring that to you as soon as we get it we have had a response though from the survivors trust and they have said to us that the university then went to amend the statement that they put out on April the 27th and amended it to say this. There are two areas on training and security where we do not feel that these demands are appropriate, referring to the demands of protect work women. However, we do take these concerns seriously and as such have contacted the Survivors Trust for their advice on guidance on how we improve our existing practices. We hope to be able to work collaboratively with them as well as with our students to develop our training and embed a truly trauma-informed ethos across all areas of the university. The Survivors Trust have said that that statement there is an appropriate one for their relationship with the university, not the statement that they put out on April 27th. What's your reaction to that? I, I mean, I, I think uh, time has passed for what, to give Warwick back the doubt here. They clearly know they're misleading people. Like, I mean, for, from what I, from what I understand is the situation before was that there are, so I was just put out general guidelines for what they think um, a, a good 
so of course would look like Warwick was adhering was adhering to those guidelines best as they assumed possible. Um, but what they clearly intended to be indicated was that they were working with survivors' trust and being guided by survivors' trust, which just wasn't it. Just wasn't true. And they were lied in meetings and they lied publicly because they thought they could get away with it. And um, we're, we're lucky that PWW noticed this and that someone contacted survivors' trust and reached out because you know what. Absolutely, no one else picked up on it. I, you know, and I'll even, I'll even fault us on this. Here, we, we assumed universe was acting in good faith, and they wouldn't lie about something like this at a time like this. But clearly, that we can't, we can't give that benefit of doubt anymore. They, it's, it's so hard to work with an entity that will openly lie about the progress it's making and openly lie about what's going. Like, because you have no security in knowing whether or not things are getting better, whether or not things are actually changing inside. And when you don't have, I, I, how can you have any hope they'll reform? I, it's, it's terrifying to me that they did this. Well, let's bring Lucy back now. Lucy, you were at the protest yesterday. Before we move on to the Survivors Trust story, I just want to ask you your response to going to the protests yesterday. How did you find it? Sure. Um, so I pretty much rocked up right at the beginning. I've been to protests before with these guys. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, con I'll continue saying this. I think it's disgusting that girls have to prove their worth. They have to stand up on the piazza and they need to share their trauma to, if anything, receive like kind of validation from the university and even from like broadcasting agents. So like ITV and BBC and The Guardian it's like they won't record unless there are people there able to share their trauma um to be honest I don't know if I'm allowed to say this it's trauma porn and it's not great um so I think first things first the university just needs to have open communication I think it's absolutely ridiculous and I think it's cowardly um for the university to shy away from things like this and leave it to one singular staff member um and as well I know you touched upon the uh, the public statement that was released I think it's also pathetic. Um, I'm sorry, I'm really attacking the university, but it has to be done. Um, I think it's pathetic that they victimise themselves by saying they're saddened to see personal attacks against members of staff. What do you expect to happen? What, what do you expect to happen when the, you know, the media force for the university is is overbearing and protect for women, the, the traction that's gained around them is now starting to deplete. And that was as well mentioned at the protest yesterday. Um, but my perspective on, on what was said yesterday, I support everything entirely. Um, they've been out there for over nine weeks now. Um, it's a matter of well-being and just general kind of basic human decency when you have paying customers, as Warwick likes to call us, um, on campus at all times. You better be investing in our safety, you know? That's just my opinion. It's important to say that um, we have contacted the university for a statement and as i said once we hear anything back from them we will bring that to you as soon as possible the survivors trust story lucy um that's what i want to move on to next we asked enoch about it um what, what, what do you what did you make of that what was your first reaction when you heard about that specifically sure uh so i work in the graphic design team for protect work women anyway so i heard about it quite early on i had to produce graphics for it um but I think there was just shock emanating throughout the group. We were all just kind of like, would they really do this? Would they really think with this stupid and slow to not actually kind of delve in and research a little bit further? Um, I think more than anything, the women in the group were, were just angry. It's it's a very basic thing that, you know, the, the activist group's asking for. It's just 
proper training um, for all members of staff to support people who have been sexually assaulted. And I, I don't think that's too much of a chore at all. Well, I think certainly there's a lot of attention that has been brought to this issue, not, not just with Protect Right Women. As I've said, I'm the fourth head of news to have been covering a story of this kind since the rape chat first emerged. We've had we had a protest last November. We had the protest that, that we had the big protest after um, the appeals to the original um, rape chat scandal that was, was even before the year before I started at this university. So this is an issue that has been going on now for some time. Protect Work Women are just the latest student group to emphasize that. And it's a, it's a question I ask every time we've talked about this one, whether it be obviously now on Insight or on previous shows I've done with Raw. What more needs to be done to tackle sexual assault on campus? Because we're here now and it's still a big issue. And certainly the frustra- there seems to be a lot of frustration coming from a lot of groups on campus that with even with more time, just not enough is being done. Obviously, we have the demands from Protect Work Women. The university have said in their statements that they agree with all aspects apart from on training and security. Enoch, where do you think that this is sufficient? Do we need to address all of the demands for Protect Work Women? Is there anything else we need to do? I mean, look, I think obviously the university, I mean, I keep my natural tendencies to give university benefit. My natural tendencies always give people the benefit of the doubt. But I think the university has proven they cannot be trusted on, on this issue anymore. They they cannot be given the benefit of the doubt on this issue anymore. Um, I, I think that the, like, hearing that story about how the warden refused how how is that a situation that the university decided to leave that power? It's because I think there's so many there's so much going on. So many structural failures before we even discuss the. Well, sort of the minor change you must can make, like um, an Ask Angeles game or you know, street lighting. The small fact of the matter: the way power is structured in this university is is it's not built in a way designed to take victim into consideration. It's not built in a way it's designed to provide care and safety to people. Until that fundamental fact is confronted, that at the core of the university, that's not one of their main interests. I don't know what we can do. And Lucy, the same question to you now. Mm-hmm. So again, following Enoch, there are so many internal structural problems, Um, but I think specifically at Warwick, there are loads of issues with laddish culture, and there's an issue with taking personal accountability, Um, and then more internally within the university itself, the report and support system is bogus, it's trash, Um, and I think as well, when I ask my professors if they know about what's happening on campus right now, because obviously everyone is off campus, Nobody knows. I, I'm the SSLC chair for law, and now only only one staff member, the uh, the student director of personal experience, it, it, she she's aware of it, but none of the other professors are, and I think that is an integral problem as well. They are purely there to teach; they aren't there to understand the student experience. Um, so I think it also starts with kind of the professors kind of engaging with certain behaviours, um, and telling them or telling like students, um essentially how to act. I think it's it's pretty ridiculous that we have to tell adults how to act and, and not sexually assault their, their peers, but if this is what we have to be doing, that's how it has to be. Well, um, as you can see, there's obviously a lot um, still to unfold with this story. Of course, Protect what women, women are still on the piazza today. They still have demands that are, are met by the university. 
it'll be something definitely to keep on following. Um, as always, with any of these um, cases, it's important to say that there is support available. Um, of course, report and support, as um, Lucy mentioned, there is um, one of the things available. If you have been a victim of sexual assault or rape on campus, please do make use of um, report and support. You've also got your personal tutor and your wardens as well. Um, within your accommodations. Um, there are also many other services. You can go as well to the Wellbeing Support Service to Nightline. Um, Nightline has an online chat taking place between um, 9pm and 1am every day. Also, if you call 024-76-522-199 between 9pm and 9am, Nightline will be there to talk to you. And they also um, have a building operating in person from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. There are also, of course, the Samaritans on 116-123 operating 24-7. And as well as that, the Coventry Rape and Sexual Assault Centre is there as well. We will be um, putting out all of these links in the description um, to the video, onto um, the radio as well, be airing this on Raw as always on Tuesday. All of the support links will be there for you to see. Looking for a bite to eat at the Warwick SU? Daily specials and fine dining experience at the brand new Canopy. Karaoke, pub grub and lager on tap at the Dirty Duck. Salad and sarnies to go in the bread oven. Or a latte link up at Curiosity. There's something to suit any taste and any budget. And if you've got a big night ahead of the copper room, start it right at Tea Bar. With speciality cocktails. Best stock prices. And our expertly stock bar overlooking a piazza. At Warwick SU Outlets, there's something to satisfy every taste. Your breakfast, the feel-good way to start your day. This is Breakfast Radio for Warwick students by Warwick students. Playing the feel-good hits and brightening up your morning. Plus, we have the best gaps, games and giveaways to freshen up your stagecoach commute. Listen to Raw Breakfast every day from 8am. Your student radio station on 12.51am. This is your Raw. The India variant has... Um, it certainly dominated a lot of the talk on COVID in the last couple of weeks in this country. Of course, when we were last talking about COVID, it's fair to say I think we were rather optimistic. We, of course, had the May 17th reopening, people starting to eat indoors in pubs again. But just a few days before the reopening, concerns started to mount over the India variant in the UK. And it spread in particular hotspots in the UK, originally confined to Bolton, Bedford and Blackburn, I believe. It has now been detected in multiple council areas across the UK. Cases last seen, I think, to top 3,000 in this country. There is significant concern about the potential spread on the of the variant, particularly on vaccines and potentially delaying the June 21st reopening. Now, we did get some data through from the government yesterday, and it's important to quickly refer to this. With regards to the India variant on vaccinations, um, Dr Jenny Harris said yesterday that the India variant is 33% effective after a first dose, the, or the COVID vaccines, sorry, are 33% effective against the India variant three weeks after the first dose. By comparison, it's 50% against the Kent variant, which is at this time the dominant strain in the UK. Um, after a second dose, the Pfizer vaccine is 88% effective against the India variant compared to 93% against the Kent variant and AstraZeneca 60% after um, a second dose, that's just short of the 66% with the Kent variant. So the government have insisted that all of the vaccines are effective, are still effective against the India variant. 
and again are encouraging people to make sure they get their vaccinations. The vaccinations have been continued to have been rolling out across the country. Now, I believe 32-year-olds are now being given their texts to book their vaccines today. Let's discuss this a bit more, though, because I guess there's a lot of questions to do, of course, with the so-called big reopening on June 21st at the moment. And Boris Johnson is expected to outline this week whether that will still go ahead as planned. So, Lucy, let me start off with you. Are you optimistic that we'll still Mm. be able to go ahead with Freedom Day on June the 21st? I think everyone's hoping for it. Um, Although, a bit controversial this, I wouldn't mind staying in for a few more weeks or months. I mean, think about how far we've come, being locked down and everything like that. Um, But at the same, you know, I'd rather people be safe and alive um, than be particularly selfish about it, especially because um, this one is is more deadly and obviously the vaccine is less effective. Um, But that's just my take, however unpopular it may be. Well, it's important just to say very quickly that there's no evidence that this vaccine, that this variant of the virus is deadlier than any of the other variants. The transmissible, it is more transmissible. We don't know Mm -hmm. how transmissible yet. Some scientists have said up to potentially 50%. There are some saying 20 to 30% more. It's no concrete proof at this time of what that is. Um, Enoch, if I can come to you, I guess, with the same question. Um, Are you still optimistic that June the 21st will be going ahead and i guess following from lucy there do you think it should still be going ahead with the india variant in the situation that it is at the moment oh you know i hate having on popular opinion so i'm gonna i'm gonna be like oh yes <laughs> june 21st freedom day what a special edition of the daily mail and all that um do i think it's still going to go ahead i i think this is not based on anything of science because i i choose <laughs> politics None of you want me to pretend I'm an, um, I know about viruses work or vaccines work. This is going to be purely based on my political analysis of Boris Johnson's situation. And I think it's going to go ahead. I think um, deaths are rising, um, hospitalizations are rising, falling. Um, I forgot, I don't know how words work. So clearly today's going great for me. Um, deaths are falling, hospitalizations are falling. Um, vaccination, vaccination seems to still be going strong. Um, even if there are situations like, um, is it Bolton or Boston? I can't remember. Which uh, Bolton. Bolton. Um, there's also a whole situation in Bolton, uh, which apparently, but I think that is becoming an increasingly complex picture of a, a particularly low uptake area. And um, what I think needs to be done now is the government needs to start, ma- they need to start really reopening up vaccinations. Um, I think you start, you know, vaccinating people, we think are going to go out a lot more, like university students or teach people who are going to come and have a lot of contact with people. They need to get in line vaccinations. Or potentially, we need to follow what America's doing, where they're saying, you know what, we have supply, we have, we have, you know, the ability to do it. Everyone can get a vaccine now. Just um, go mm-hmm. on the website and apply. I think that I think we at the time we can do that. Can I just ask very quickly because I've kind of I had this idea in my head in the last couple of weeks. I kind of want to see what you think of it. We have the asymptomatic testing centre in the slate at the moment um, that is being moved to junction at the start of yeah. next week. So could the university perhaps, if they want to get university students vaccinated, and we know university students mixing, of course, was a source of many outbreaks last September and October. So do you think there is merit in the university potentially opening up a mass vaccination centre in the slate if that stops spreads around campus? Um, Lucy, you're nodding your head. Yes, please. I, I, it's, 
it's pretty obvious. I mean, there are loads of vaccination centres across the UK at the moment that are just chucking away vaccines at the end of the day because no one's there to take them. I feel like it's such a waste. So if 100%, students are absolutely dagging for the vaccine. They want to be able to go to clubs and enjoy themselves. So it's counterintuitive to think otherwise, in my opinion. But. Okay, and what about yourself, Enoch? Um, uh, yeah, I think, honestly, Cal, I think your plans are going far enough. The university's half empty in a minute. We've got empty, we've got empty rooms all over the place. Let's turn all of them into vaccination centres. Crack over mm. the windows, get people in there. Um, I honestly, I think I, from the very beginning, uh, like I didn't say on inside because, of course, I had to be impartial. But I was a big advocate for like you know the focus group um, vaccination schemes, like you know you vaccinate all the teachers, you vaccinate all the university students. And I think now is exactly the time on the verge of the, the, the great big day where everyone's going to rush back. Um, is going to you know, rush back to normal life that we, we get these vaccinations going. I said that word too many times. I can't. It doesn't sound right to me. Vaccinate, vaccinate. I can't do it. it. It does sound like a bit of a tongue twister after a while, to be fair. But I mean, the thing is, I know obviously some uni students, of course, been getting their vaccines early because obviously they're part of more vulnerable groups. And I know there's some students, like my flatmate earlier this morning, was saying that he's booked his second dose in early June, and I'm like, I'm still wait. I'm still waiting to July. You know, just just many small tears, of course, at the moment. Of course, it's really nice to see, of course, people getting their second dose um both my parents um got their second doses over the weekend so that's that's very good news on a personal level but obviously now that there's certainly a lot of um there's certainly a lot of i would say encouragement from students i think students certainly are very enthusiastic about taking the vaccines but let's move back to the india variant now i'm away from my little um sidetrack there because um of course throughout the month of april we saw um the horrific scenes in Indian hospitals, motivated by the spread of this more um, transmissible variant. And one of the things that the government, or one of the critiques that the government faced throughout April and into May was that they simply didn't do enough to tighten up the borders early and by not placing India onto the red list. Now, Pakistan and Bangladesh were placed onto the red list, I believe, in sort of earlier April. Of course, two countries neighbouring India. India was not placed onto the red list until April the 18th, it was announced not to be moved on until April the 22nd. And the government had faced criticism for not doing anything earlier, knowing that what they could see within Indian hospitals. Um, Yvette Cooper was Andrew Marr a couple of weeks ago. She made this exact point that the government's border policy has not been effective enough to stop variants coming in. And that if we want to reopen fully domestically, that more needs to be done with the borders. And we have seen of course, um, confusion over the last week with regards to advice um, on the government's um, amber list, in particular, the countries on the amber list, whether you should or should not travel to them. So, Enoch, I'm going to come to you first this time. Um, on the point of borders, do you think the government should have done more earlier with regards to banning travel from India? And do you think the border policy as it is, is coherent to be stopping the importation of variants into this country? Yeah. Can I can I just say firstly, it's so nice that for once I'm on the other end of the should the government <laughs> done more earlier question rather than one asking it. Um, it's been a miserable few weeks watching it to be like, oh, vaccinations are going great rather than being like the government's failed. I've missed saying the government's <laughs> failed. Um, yeah. Um, what else to say? Absolutely. The gov I think it's particularly bizarre that this government, which you know, as um, under Pretty Patel's Home Secretary, not to make it all political, um, had particularly you know zealous immigration uh, immigration policy so it's suddenly been so soft on borders i don't know when i don't know where it came from and um i i think i mean okay to be less flippant it's obviously it's a tragedy that's going on in india and i think making sort of choice to close down borders 
is always a very heavy one because you're making sure to separate people from the families to limit people and it's i it should never be taken easily um but i i do think the government mistake there by not limiting them i think the fact that pakistan and bangladesh were on the list and it's it, it boggles the mind i think if, if you've seen this happen in a sort of you know not to, give, to give like an example, if, um, it, actually no, you know, there's no, there's no real example. It's, it's just insane. You wouldn't see happening in, in any other functioning country something like this. It's completely ridiculous. And the amber list it sort of brings to mind the worst of December's free tiers, but they're really all the same tier list. It, it's just it's 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 a sign that government. It's a sign that you know deep down fundamentals separate from the whole vaccination um, success. This is the same government we had um, in December. This is, and they, they're still making the same mistakes while not being helped out by Kate Bingham. Kate Bingham for Prime Minister, how about that? Maybe that's a solution <laughs> to a lot of problems, I don't know. Well, sadly, I believe Kate Bingham has left the government. Oh, she's not in it at this time. So, Enoch, I, I feel you may have to do a little bit of work to make that a reality. Um, Lucy, I, I guess following on from what Enoch said there, I guess it's a point that has been made against the government quite a lot over the last year, mm. that it had the evidence that it should have done more earlier it hasn't done it and now it's facing the consequences of that. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I mean, I think the primary reason as to why India was kept open was just obviously economic foreign relations. I mean, Boris Johnson was supposed to be flying over there um, and he was going to until a few days before. Um, So I think it's pretty telling how desperate we are to establish some kind of trade contract with someone. Um, Because at the moment, it's safe to say we we are struggling um, especially in terms of haulage manufacturing services. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a sign of Boris Johnson kind of grappling, for sure. Well, I'm sure we will see how that develops over the coming weeks. Just very, very quickly, because we did say we were going to talk about Great British Railways. We have two minutes left. So let's quickly... Michael Portillo has 30 minutes. Raw can do it in two. So um, the government have announced in the last week that they're going to be introducing a new system on Great Britain's railways. They're going to be effectively what we have the system with the privatised rail at the moment. They're going to bring rail rail operators and rolling stock, trains and timetables under government control. They've said this will make it more flexible, a better service for passengers as well. Um, What what do we think about this? Because of course, rail renationalisation has been a part of the agenda for the last five years. It was something that the Labour Party had made quite a big part of their agenda in 2019 we have one minute left so i want your opinions on this very quickly lucy i'll come to you first it's so annoying it's so annoying because when you support corbyn back then 2017 2019 you can see the policies make sense and then you see the tories on the side saying no it's money true you can't afford it i just think it's so uh, hypocritical irritating every word under the sun um and it really does break my heart because corbyn all along was making full english sense it's just it's annoying and enoch what about yourself Do you i want to i, I want to be um clear about this i'm not going to give boris johnson credit for renationalizing the railways um what <laughs> happening here is not renationalization it's um a centralization of the contracting mm-hmm. system underneath a, a central quango um where countries become it, it's it's a lot more complicated and annoying, but it's than the old system. But I think hopefully it will work better. Hopefully we'll achieve better goals. Um, I don't have much faith, but um, the rail system in this country is broken and it needs to be fixed. Um, it should not be cheaper to it's not be cheaper to fly um, to Spain than it is to get a train up to to Scotland. It's absurd. But that's also I need to build. That's also um, the concept about HS two. 
but no one wants to have that conversation on Insight. <laughs> Perhaps this will motivate some more videos by Andy Burnham talking about the cost of public transport in this country, riding on Great British Railways. Maybe he'll be rivaling Michael Portillo one day. Who knows? But that is it from us here on Insight this week. Thank you so much um, for tuning in. As I said, there has been some very hard-hitting topics this week and all the support um, for anyone who's been affected by what we've been discussing in the show today will be included in the descriptions to the video and on all of our audio content as well. Um, we'll be back same time next week, 1 o'clock, across all our social medias, 1pm, Monday, 31st of May. And again, on Raw throughout the next week. Um, please make sure to tune in and I hope to see you next week. Across campus, online and on 12.51am. This, this, this is your student radio station.